Today, we'll see God call a man away from all he knows to a new land and a new future. A future involving a blessing for the whole world. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Ten generations prior, Noah had built the ark and survived the great flood with his little family. And after disembarking, his sons had sons, and their sons had more sons. And eventually, several generations later, after the Tower of Babel, those groups began to go their separate ways. With new languages and less in common, they scattered across the earth. The descendants of Ham went to faraway places surrounding an area called Mizraim, or Egypt, while the descendants of Japheth had gone considerably north of them. They were a coastal people who'd gone all the way to the areas surrounding Javan or Greece. Abram, though, Abram was a Shemite, a descendant of the most blessed son of Noah, that son with the odd blessing, but one nonetheless. It was to Shem that Noah said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. In ten generations after Noah, Abram is called by God in a monumental shift within the Bible story. The call of Abram is a pivot point on which the rest of the Bible turns. It's the call of a man from a land of idolatry and from a family of worshiping false gods. The call away from his country, his kindred, and his father's house to a new land and a new future. This call of Abraham represents a significant proactive move on the part of God to signal a move in human history. God was promising that somehow, through Abram, all the families of the world would be blessed. After separating the people at Babel, causing them to begin scattering across the world, God makes this promise to Abram. All those people, all those nations, somehow are going to be blessed through you, Abram. But that's not all that God promises to Abram. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And finally, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Promises that, from the very first, can't all be accomplished in Abram's life. When God says, I will make you a great nation, he's really saying that these promises are to you, Abram, but they also extend past you. These promises are going to be something that will begin to occur in your life, but they won't be finished in your life. These are promises for the future. And for Abram, the only requirement for this promise is this. God says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. If Abram follows the command to go to the land, God will make these promises sure. These promises become irrevocable. 
In fact, these promises are the beginning of a new irrevocable covenant that we will begin to learn about. It's a covenant that spans ten chapters in the Bible, with narrative interspersed among all the promises. A covenant where God establishes a bond between himself and Abram, and God guarantees these promises will come to pass. A bond commonly called the Abrahamic Covenant. A bond that can be summarized with three words. Land, seed, and blessing. The land of Canaan, many seed from Abram, and the blessing of all the nations of the world through a particular seed of Abram. Land, seed, and blessing. Promises that form the bedrock of the rest of the Bible story a foundation on which everything else is built. The part that Abram probably thought the most about, though, was the promise that God would give him seed to make him a great nation. He couldn't help but see a problem with that promise. You see, despite his name, Abram, meaning exalted father, he didn't have any children. He and his wife Sarai had certainly tried, but he was 75 years old now and she was 65 well past the age of childbearing. They were old, old enough to be grandparents, but had never even held their own baby in their arms. That's the promise that continued to confound Abram. Somehow, someway, God was going to make him into a nation. One of the many promises that caused Abram to leave everything he had known to go to the land of Canaan. We read this in chapter 12. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew. All their possessions they had gathered, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. Notice how often the name Canaan is in those few sentences. The text won't have us miss that this land is the land of the people descended from Canaan, that cursed grandson of Noah, the one who would be a servant to Shem. God is promising this land to Abram, generations after that initial curse. It appears that the Canaanite servitude of the Shemites will begin with Abram. And Abram, upon hearing this from the Lord, builds what Noah built after the flood, a sign of worship and a sign of confidence. Abram builds an altar, and then another altar on land not yet his, the land of Canaan, not yet conquered, but sure to be eventually. The text continues, So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country, on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the southern end of the land, called the Negeb. Interestingly enough, Abram doesn't simply stop upon entering the land of Canaan. He goes from the far north of the land to the far south of the land, almost as if touring what God had promised him, scoping it out, as it were, before finding a place to settle down a bit. But soon after entering the land, 
a problem presents itself to Abram and his entourage. There was no food. In fact, there was a significant famine, and this famine causes him to leave the land in search of food. And his search for food lands him in Egypt. But before arriving, he plots an odd sort of deception. Let's read what happens. Now there's a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh the king. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for Sarah's sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Now it seems like Abram's plot was going swimmingly. Everyone had food, and Sarai was even able to live a great life in the palace. And it says, for Sarai's sake, Pharaoh was enriching Abram. Abram is probably content with this situation, but God isn't. God isn't a fan of Sarai being in Pharaoh's house. Next we read, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Abram's fear of the Egyptians caused him to give his wife to Pharaoh. He certainly wouldn't have won a Husband of the Year award. And yet, God used Sarai's presence in Pharaoh's household as a means to enrich Abram, before finally causing Sarai and Abram's expulsion from Egypt around the end of the famine. And the state of the formerly small group is now a very rich entourage overflowing with goods. Chapter 13 of Genesis opens with this comment. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all he had, and Lot his nephew with him into the Negev in the south of the land of Canaan. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Despite his immoral plotting, and despite leaving the land that God had sent him to because of the famine, despite this, God has brought him back to the land for the next chapter in Abram's life. A chapter involving a land dispute, more promises of children, and an epic war among kings. Join us next time as we see his nephew Lot kidnapped and Abram forced into war. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023